You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Dr. Mary Beth Gassman. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So my reasons for writing the book are kind of, they're interesting because I had been invited to the uh, New York Times Higher Education Forum, which takes place every year in New York. I was on stage with, of all people, Nicole Hannah-Jones. And so I was on stage with her talking about historically Black colleges with another individual. And she just, out of the blue, asked me a question. She said, we were talking about faculty, and she, she said, why aren't there more faculty of color at majority white institutions, which was not what I was there to talk about. And I just looked at her and I said, because we don't want them. We, if we wanted them, we would do everything possible to have a diverse faculty, but we don't. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I can give you many examples. I've been, you know, I've worked at majority institutions my entire career, and I can tell you examples of the ways that we specifically make sure that we don't have a diverse faculty. And, and, you know, one of the biggest ones is that we tend to privilege two things above all else when choosing faculty. We look at who their advisor is, and we look at where they went to school. And we look at those things over their actual accomplishments and productivity. And what's interesting is that the reason why we look at those things is because we assume that if they have a certain advisor and they went to a certain school that they're going to be successful. And then another thing we do is we tend to, you know, we we tend to make exceptions for whites, but we don't make those same exceptions for people of color. We tend to come up with all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't hire people, even though we say we're committed. And so I wanted to say that. And then the other thing I'll say is that for me, I became, you know, I became interested in issues of race and equity and justice, mainly because I grew up in a, you know, a community that was very, very rural, and I had no exposure to really anyone aside from whites and and some Native Americans. And I felt very cheated by my educational system. I grew up very, very poor, but, but I felt cheated because I was not I was not given an opportunity to learn about anything other than white folks, right? And so that's how I became a historian and very, became very, very interested in populations, especially African-Americans, but by and large other populations as well. And I just, I realized early on that in order to make change, you need everybody involved. It can't just be people of color changing systems that were created to oppress them. It needs to, it needs to be all of us involved. And so that's, that's kind of how I got interested. And this book came about because I'll just be honest with you. I was mad as hell. I was just mad as hell at the, about the things that I had seen happening in the academy. And I just felt like it needed, somebody needed to pull back a curtain and, and see what was actually going on. I think in your research, you unravel that those role models, having this great well of support really makes a difference in, in outcomes and success levels. So tell us a little bit more about that. 
there are two books that I have written that talk about exactly what you're what you're saying. And I wrote a book with Cliff Conrad called Educating a Diverse Nation, and another book with Tai Huynh called Making Black Scientists. Both of those are um, published by Harvard University Press. And one of the things that we found in work with Black colleges and also other types of minority-serving institutions is that having people who look like you in the classroom makes a substantial difference. It makes a difference racially and it makes a difference in terms of gender. So for example, for women, it is incredibly powerful to have people who are women and especially if you, let's say you're a black woman, to have a black woman teaching you is incredibly powerful because it provides a role model and example right there in real time. And, you know, there's there's sort of this saying at black colleges about you can't, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And black colleges allow you to be what you want to be because they have role models all around them. And I can, can I just read you kind of a little tiny thing that exemplifies this? It's this, this made such a difference to me when, um, when I heard this question, it was by a faculty member, a white man. And he said to me, architects are in the business of producing buildings. Plausibly, what's most important is that we have the best producers of buildings, not that the producers be diverse. Plausibly, professors are in the business of building knowledge. Why not care about having the best producers of knowledge? And if they happen to be white, so be it. My response was, well, I would argue that we won't know our potential for producing the best buildings, the most beautiful and impressive buildings, unless we are inclusive about who has the opportunity to produce these buildings. If we are more inclusive, we may even expand our definitions and understandings of the best, the most beautiful and impressive buildings. Likewise, I would argue that we don't truly know who the best producers of knowledge are if we aren't inclusive about who has the opportunity to produce knowledge. If we're more inclusive, we may even expand our definitions of the best in terms of the production of knowledge. How can we help support faculty of color in these situations? One thing I would say is it's a whole variety of things that you really have to do once, once faculty of color are hired. You need to ensure that they have mentors who will help them get tenured and through the academic process. You need to listen because you know what we tend to do is I always say that you know we invite people to dinner and then tell them they can't eat. And we need to really listen to people. So here's one thing that I always suggest to people. I started doing this a few years ago, whereas whenever I'm invited to a meeting, like where I'm going to meet lots of people, I bring a person of color with me. I bring a woman of color or a person of color with me. And that way they get an invite, they get acclimated, they get to meet people. Another thing that you can do is if you have connections, introduce people of color to those connections. If it weren't for people, and I will say quite frankly, quite a few people of color helping me, there's no way I would be a professor. I feel like we need to be more generous in the academy as well in, you know, within colleges and universities. And I think there's like, the academy is just set up in this hyper competitive way that makes it seem like if you give anything to anyone else that somehow you're going to lose. And that, that just doesn't, that doesn't work. That's not good for anybody. I think that we forget 
that our way of thinking and our our knowledge that we've gained isn't necessarily always the best way. It's not absolute. It's not a uncontested truth, right? But we sometimes are taught that. We're literally taught those things. And so sometimes it's a good idea to have checks for yourself where you hold yourself accountable. This is one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have a really diverse group of people in your work environment and in your friend environment to hold you accountable and to challenge you. And you should challenge and hold them accountable as well. We all have things to learn when it comes to these diversity related issues, right? Or issues of identity. We have so much to learn. Like just because you happen to be, let's say, you know, let's say you're a person of color it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be accepting of transgender individuals, right? You might have some real hangups or you could be, you could be transgender and have some hangups around people of color, you know, all around the spectrum. You can be a woman who doesn't support women. There are, there are all of these kinds of things that we, I think we have to be open to and we have to be open to learning and also open to making mistakes because sometimes people are going to make mistakes around these issues. And this just goes back to the whole benefit of diversity. If you know, if you have a whole variety of people who represent complex intersectional identities, you have to sort of help each other out. But I do think it's the best thing to do for all of us to make sure that we discuss our intersectional identities and be open if you know if we feel comfortable to talking to people so that they can learn because you know you can't you can't drag people through the mud for not understanding let's say transgender issues it, if they've had zero exposure right if they've had i mean yes they can read but it might be the wrong book you know so you have to you have to explain this to people how can people coming into this new environment deal with all the changes and not being kind of like afraid of having to deal with a lot of questions or just being possibly like not feeling included. Here's one thing that I think that people can do and I think institutions can do. One is when you go into an institution, try to seek out people who can be supports for you, okay? I think most people should have like a board of mentors. Okay, not just one mentor, but try to get a variety of mentors, some on the outside and some on the inside. And I think that they should be very diverse in terms of all kinds of different ways, right? So you got to kind of find your people. So, but a university can also help you with that in that one of the, the, one of the best strategies for hiring a diverse faculty is to hire in clusters. And it's great if a university will, let's say, hire five or 10 faculty of color at the same time and then have a program for them because they end up having a support network that's already in place. And that can be really, really advantageous. Now, one other thing I'm going to say, and um, this may be surprising, but I also think, I think everybody should have this, but I also think that faculty should use their benefits and go to see a mental health counselor on a regular basis. I think being a faculty member is very stressful. It can be very emotional. I see a mental health counselor every two weeks. It's the best thing that I can do for myself. You know why? Because every day I am spending time helping other people. 
And it's really nice to have an hour where someone's listening to me and helping me. It's really nice. I think seeing a mental health counselor is a really important thing. It's like a gift you can give yourself. What are some important life lessons uh, for you? What would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? Well, one thing that I would love to just start off with, like for colleges and universities, I wish that people would realize that they don't have to hold so tightly to the systems that have been in place. It's okay to let some of these things go. We don't have to keep doing them, right? And then for younger folks, I think that it is important. I mean, I'd say the same thing that I tell everybody, and that is, I usually say to people every day, you know, make sure and do something good for yourself today. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.